0: All right, good morning. Good morning My name's guys. Chuck Leemaster with Team Faith. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, this is the the church at the racetrack, So, um, and that Loretta Lynn's, of all places. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm excited for this weekend to get going. We've got uh, Cheyenne Harmon here with me. He was he filled in our, our rider on Arena Cross this past year, hurt his wrist, uh, Gavin Graysick and wasn't able to finish the season, and Cheyenne had been hanging around, and, and uh, we saw a fire in him, a desire to serve Jesus Christ and use his talents and gifts to glorify God, and got to talking to him, and he uh, he was able to jump on Gavin's bike and go out there in the lights class and do some damage, and sent him to Supercross down in Houston, and he made the main event, and we thought, man, we kind of like having him around, so uh, he said, hey, I'd like to try GNCC, so uh, today, we're for the first time ever, we'll have somebody out there in the XC2 class, and excited to get that going, and Look forward to a good day of racing. But before we do it, we'll get started with, uh, with Church at the Racetrack. God, thanks a lot for this morning. Thanks for the beautiful sunshine. Uh, weather predictions are nothing to you. And uh, I know a lot of people were praying for good weather, and we're just thankful that um, we're thankful for the sunshine, and we're thankful for the day that's yet to, to be today. Uh, quiet our hearts and give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Give me the words to say in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, fair warning, and I gave you a fair warning two weeks ago that today would be a baptism service. We're going to talk about baptism. Uh, yesterday, we did a baptism service where I talked about baptism, and three people at the end of the service says, Hey, I want to publicly show my faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. And so, as a church, we marched down to the river and, and baptized three people yesterday. And at the end of today's service, if, if there's a stirring within you that, Hey, I've never made my faith public by being baptized, and and I might want to do it. I'm just giving you a warning right now, and and just let the Holy Spirit kind of simmer on that. So at the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity that if you want to publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized, I will ask you to stand up. So you've had your fair warning, baptism service. What is it? I think most of us are familiar with baptism, has something to do with water. A lot of uh, denominations or religions, if you will, will baptize infants by sprinkling water on them. And that's one form of baptism. Some, some people will pour water over the head, but then there's the, the full immersion baptism where you go under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, buried in your sins and trespasses, risen to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what, what we subscribe to here at uh, Church at the Racetrack. And I'll show you why. There, there's no reference to, to baptism in the Old Testament. All right, if you remember the Old Testament, it was all about God revealing himself to mankind through a guy named Abraham, and then there's the Israelites, and then there's slavery, and there's freedom, and there's the promised land, and then there's a whole bunch of prophets saying, hey, you guys are God's special people. You need to be God's special people and quit doing all this idol worship and all this crazy stuff, or there's going to be a captivity. God's going to punish. And sure enough, Israel, as a nation, goes into captivity in Babylon. They're in captivity for 70 years. They come out of captivity, and and prophets are still saying, hey, there's a coming Messiah who's going to set the record straight, who's going to dispense perfect justice, and who's going to, not only for you, but for the whole world. And, uh, And then there's 400 years of silence. Nothing happens. There's no prophets. God doesn't speak to anybody. We have no record of God's interaction with the nation of Israel or with anybody in the world. 400 years of silence, and I'd like to talk about that at some other time, because it's actually a pretty interesting thing that in the silence, God's still at work. But in this silence, Israel kind of develops, and we see a few new things. By the time we start the New Testament, we see a couple of words that we've never seen before. One of those words is Pharisees and Sadducees. we got all these religious leaders all of a sudden that we've never heard of before, but what's happened is that the religious leaders have said, hey, that 70 years of captivity, that was bad, because ever since then... We've never been autonomous. We've been ruled by the Babylonians, the Persians, and now the Romans. And we're tired of this. If we'll just be good, if we'll just do those 613 laws that God told us to do, then the Messiah will come. And we'll have freedom and we'll have autonomy and we'll be able to rule ourselves. So let's get really serious about this. So they've got a whole new religious institution with Pharisees and Sadducees. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see another new word, baptism baptist particularly John the Baptist was out in the wilderness and he was baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins and he was proclaiming this gospel of repent the kingdom is near repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and he was he was in the Jordan River and so i understand that to be that he was in the river and people were going under and being brought up for the forgiveness of their sins and John the Baptist was this wild crazy looking guy when you first read it You hear about John the Baptist wearing a garment of camel's hair. It's not like the camel's hair, you know, sport jacket that we like to wear with the patches on the sleeves. No, this guy's got real camel hair on him. He's got a leather belt around his waist. And it says his diet was wild honey, not so bad, and locust. You lost me there. Locust and wild honey. This guy's out in the wilderness preaching. And people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding region are coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they say, hey, what is going on there? We don't know anything about this baptism. We know that God told us to have a ritual purification in order to be pure and in order to be holy. But this whole baptism thing, what is this? And who is this guy anyway? But John the Baptist is so charismatic. He's got such a following that the leaders come up to him and they say, so who are you? Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? I'm not the prophet. Well, who are you then? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he quotes a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. We know that as as Isaiah 40 Chapter 40, verse 3, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. I am preparing. I'm not the one to come. I'm preparing the way for the one to come. The one who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, John says. And then after that, Jesus comes to John the Baptist. Now, we're familiar with Jesus, even at this point in the story in Matthew, because Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born in the manger. We celebrate that at Christmas time. And we all know, we've heard the story of Jesus. Jesus was perfect, right? We know that Jesus, with God come down to, to, to earth, God's Son come down to earth, God incarnate, lived a perfect and holy life. Jesus comes to John the Baptist. I lost my place. John would have prevented him from being baptized by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? That's an interesting statement by John. Because as we know, Jesus is perfect. John is preaching, repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And here comes the perfect one. Hey, John, I need you to baptize me. Well, why do you want me to baptize? It should be the other way around, Jesus. I'm the sinner. You're the perfect one. You ought to baptize me. And Jesus replies to him, says, uh, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John's like, alright, that explains it all right there. You and me, we're like, what does that mean? John says, Jesus, you ought to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, man, we've got to do what's right. Alright, John baptizes him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about how Jesus, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. And from that point on, Jesus began his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. His first miracle was in Cana. He turned the water into wine. Later on, the deaf can, can, hear, or the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, the mute can speak. All these miracles are happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. Jesus is baptized. The power of the Holy Spirit comes on him. The very next verse that we read, though, after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit comes on him, a voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Next verse is, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I wish I could tell you, and I've heard this said before, if you become a Christian, if you give your life to Jesus, he will make your life better. First thing that the Holy Spirit did with Jesus was led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's not better. All right? I can't give you a false gospel that if you give your life to Christ, your life will be better. Your life will be secure. You'll have eternal security. You can have peace through the storm. You will develop in character. You will become a person that you won't even recognize, but that doesn't mean that it won't be easy. Good things are never easy, are they? Anyway, Jesus is out in the desert. He's out in the wilderness. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is the most understated verse in the entire Bible. After fasting, after going without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Indeed, he was. He was very hungry. He was famished. He was starving. He was on the brink of death. Now, when I was a kid, I was told three days without water, three weeks without food. Alright, modern, modern science proves, uh, doctors and scientists agree that you can go up to six to eight weeks, depending on your body type, you can go six to eight weeks without food as long as you have water. And in doing research for this message, uh, I came across many people that have gone on a 40-day fast to follow the example of Jesus, a 40-day fast of no food, only water. So it can be done, but what I'm told is after three to five days, the hunger pains go away. You'll be very, very hungry for about three to five days and then the hunger pains go away because your body goes into survival mode. The digestive system shuts down and you start needing a lot more sleep and a lot more rest. You become rather lethargic. And for a fast, the whole point of a fast, as we know from scripture, is to come close to God. It's not a fast. It's not like a hunger strike at prison where they said, I'm gonna not eat so that you'll give me what I want. That's not a fast. The fast is God, I come before you and I'm denying myself because I want to know more of you. And so that's what Jesus is doing. 40 day fast. He's very hungry. At the end, when your body is about to die, whether it's uh, 40 days, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever your body type is, they say, at the end of that, you become very hungry. Your body wakes up and says, if you don't get some nourishment in you, you are going to die. You become very hungry. Jesus, in his weakest state, about to die, The tempter came to him, is what the Bible says. The devil comes to him. Isn't that how it goes? In our weakest moment, in our most vulnerable state, when we're weary, when we're tired and worn out, you know my worst days are Mondays, after a race. I imagine I'm not alone in this, because this is a lot of work. They say that the idle mind is the devil's playground. I don't think anybody under this tent has to worry about an idle mind. We've got full-time jobs. Racing's a full-time career. You come here, you drive 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever it takes to get here. You set up, you race, you tear down, you drive another 10 hours. But Monday evening, after I'm done with work, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. And that's, that's when I start getting tempted. Like, hey, just give up, man. Just watch that show. Just look at that thing on the Internet. Just do whatever. Just take a break. And here's Jesus. his weakest, most vulnerable state, the tempter comes to him. He says to him, he says, If you are the Son of God command these stones to be turned into bread but jesus answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of god now what's the deal with this if you've been around church for a while you know that there's three temptations that satan gives jesus and we look at these temptations we hear turn these stones into bread never been tempted to turn a rock into bread doesn't seem like that has a connection with reality here matter of fact there's no law in the Old Testament. I told you, 613 laws in the Old Testament in order to be holy and become, come before a holy God, you have to do these 613 things. Not a single one of them says, thou shalt not turn rocks into bread. All right? So what's the deal with this temptation? If Jesus had done it, would that be a sin? Jesus says, but we get our answer to that question. Why was this a temptation? We get our answer in the way that Jesus responds to the question. Because Jesus' response is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus has done here is he's quoted a passage from the Old Testament. We know this is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the time when Moses was preparing the people. they have been wandering for 40 years out in the wilderness. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, go into the Promised Land. Moses knows he's not going to go with them, that he's going to die before they go. And he's giving his last speech. He's giving his last sermon. And he sums up everything that's happened with the whole nation of Israel. And he gives them his last speech. And in this speech, he reminds them of the time that God provided manna for them out in the wilderness. That they were out in the wilderness. God had led them miraculously through the Red Sea. They were out in the wilderness, and they became hungry. And so God sent down manna from heaven, and he provided for their every need. And Moses says, uh, he says, God humbled you, and he let you hunger, and then he fed you with manna so that you would know man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He humbled you, and he tested you, and then he provided for you. That's the temptation. See, that's the temptation that I have to face almost every day. God, if you don't provide for me, God, I have this need in my life. If you don't come through for me, then I will have to take matters into my own hand. I'll go into debt up to my eyeballs to take care of matters on my own hand. If you don't come through for me, I'll have to do it. This happens not only in our finance, but with relationships. Man, I know I shouldn't date that girl, but God, you haven't provided any other options for me. I've been praying and I've been praying. I'm saying it lighthearted, but I truly did this about 12 years ago. God, you haven't provided anything for me. This girl's beautiful. I know she's not really all that a Christian, but she believes in God. (laughs) That's good enough for me. You haven't done anything. I'll go, man, that sent me off rails for, it was terrible. (laughs) Turns out uh, she wasn't, God had warned me against that, and he's warned us against so many things. But we say, you know what, God? If you don't take care of it, I'll take care of it. And we come to regret it. That's what Satan is saying to Jesus. God hasn't provided for you. You are hungry. You're about to die. Settle it for yourself. You have the power. And Jesus says, it's not about the food. He says, Satan, you know what? Whether I live or die, that's not up to me. That's up to my Father in heaven. I trust him, and I'm going to live by the purpose for which he, by which he sent me to this earth to do. So Satan says to him next, he says, takes him to a holy city, to Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, the very high point of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, as if he questions it, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan quotes Psalm chapter 91 to Jesus. He says, all right, Jesus, you're going to use Scripture to defeat me? I'll use Scripture to tempt you. Here's what you do. Go to the high point of the temple and bungee. That doesn't sound so bad. I mean, if it's really written that his angels will catch you, do it. <laughs> Sounds like fun. So is that the temptation to jump off the temple? Again, there's no law against it. There's no rule against it. It's a bad thing if Satan's saying to do that. We know that that's probably a bad thing. Well, what's really the problem? What's the issue behind this? The issue is, when Jesus answers Satan, we get an idea as to why this is the temptation. Jesus says, again, it is written. Again, it is written in Deuteronomy, actually, in Moses' last speech, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When we look at that passage in Deuteronomy, where Jesus quotes that, Moses is reminding the people of a time at Massa, a place called Massa, which means test. Actually, there was a time... Uh, that that the Israelites, they had just come out of the Red Sea, they're into the wilderness, and they're thirsty. They have no water to drink. And they start complaining to Moses, hey, we're thirsty, we're going to die. Not only am I going to die, my children are going to die, my livestock's going to die. And Moses has to go to God and say, hey, God, these people are about to stone me to death if they don't get water. And God says, all right, Moses, take your staff, the staff that you parted the Red Sea with, walk before the whole nation of Israel, go to the rock at Horeb. At that rock, I want you to strike the rock and I will send water forth. So that's what Moses did. And then he renamed the rock at Horeb, named it Massa, which means testing. And Moses says to them, Moses did this and he renamed the place Massa because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? If you really are the Son of God, then prove it. There's the, there's the testing right there. That's the temptation. God, if you're really for me, prove it. God, you haven't come through for me. You've promised. You've got these promises that the angels will catch me. I won't strike my foot against the ground. We all know that's not true in our lives, right? So where is this? God, if, if, if you can't stand by this, then can I stand by anything that you've said? What it is is a manipulation of God. Satan's saying, Jesus, go up to this place, bungee off, let the angels catch you, manipulate God. And that's where I fall into the, te- into the temptation. I mean, look at it this way. Jesus, at the end of his three years of ministry, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows it's his last night alive. And he prays a very human prayer because he's fully God, fully human. We can't quite grasp it, but he prays, God, if you will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified, knows he's about to go through the most terrible pain known to man. He says, God, if there's any other way... Let's do it that way. Now, the temptation is to manipulate God. God, if there's any other way, matter of fact, this whole crucifixion thing, this can't be your plan, God. This is a bad idea because you said in Psalm 91 that you would, you would put your angels in charge of me that I wouldn't even strike my foot against a stone, that I wouldn't be hurt. Therefore, this can't be of you. Would you please fulfill your promise to me in Psalm 91? I hear prayers like that all the time. What if Jesus had done that? What if Jesus refused to go to the cross? There would be no hope for you and me today. And Jesus, in the same time that he told Satan, Thou shalt not test the Lord your God, he lived up to it in the Garden of Gethsemane because he didn't test God. He said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross, and because of Jesus on that cross, because of his death in our place, we have hope. All of humanity has hope for all of eternity. So the manip- manipulation of God is the real test. Then Satan, he he's struck out two for two. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to them, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This seems like a pretty easy temptation to overcome. We all know you shouldn't worship Satan, right? I mean, even a six-year-old can tell you that's a bad idea. That's not the temptation, though, because look at Jesus' answer to him says, uh, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. That comes from Deuteronomy six thirteen. Satan comes up to him and says, Here's all the kingdoms. And Jesus doesn't correct him, doesn't say, Hey, those aren't your kingdoms. No, Satan's saying, Hey, Jesus, I know that you've come to this earth. I know that your God come to this earth because you want to establish, you want to bring God's kingdom to this earth. I'll tell you what, all these kingdoms are mine. This is my domain. I will give you a shortcut. If you will just ignore that little detail... In Scripture, if you'll just ignore that little detail, I'll give you a shortcut. And you can bypass that whole Isaiah 53 passage about suffering and stripes and all that crazy stuff. You can have what you want. You can have the big picture with just a little shortcut. And that's the temptation I think every single one of us, that's probably the biggest temptation that we have. That's what Satan comes to us and says, you know what, Christian? There's an easier way to be a Christian. What you want is eternal life. And you want life in heaven. So you've got this. Here's your big picture. you got heaven. There's your big picture. You don't have to worry about all those little de- I'll give you a shortcut. You are a microwave society. I'll give you a shortcut. Don't worry about what God says about sexual purity. Because your you're eternal salvation is secured. Don't worry about what God says about how to manage your finances. Don't worry about all these little details that God has laid out in the Bible for you. You can bypass all of that and still have what you want. And in the process, Satan will rob you of the greatest blessing on this earth because God has so much more for you than you even have for yourself and and Jesus says be gone Satan I'm done with you worship the Lord your God only and that's what Moses had to remind the people of that these other gods are going to take your eyes off the true God and they're going to lead you astray and they are going to lead you into trouble 70 years in Babylon so when you glance at it seems like the temptations of Christ aren't much turn rocks into bread never been tempted to do that Bungee jump off the temple, never been tempted to do that. Worship Satan, no way, never been tempted to do that. But on closer inspection, we see these temptations are worse than the temptations I've had to overcome in my own life. When I surrendered and hit my knees back in 2006, eight years ago, I said, God, you can have all my life, every part of me. I surrender everything to you. I've made a mess of my life. I want you to be my God. One of the first things that God had to deal with me on was my my consumption of alcohol, my overconsumption of alcohol. And so I ended up in rehab, and I got treatment. And I'll tell you today, glory to God, I don't have any temptation when it comes to alcohol. By God's grace, I've been able to overcome that. And not everybody can say that. I mean, I have different temptations even to this day. But my greatest temptation, the temptation that pastors that you see on TV or famous people that write books, temptations that we have are to take matters into my own hand. God, you're not coming through for me. If you don't come through for me, I'm going to have to do it. We have the temptation to manipulate God. Hey, God, look at what you said in your Bible. You need to prove yourself to me because I'm not seeing my faith is weak. I'm not seeing your, your hand in my life. This is what you need to do for me. And we also have the temptation to take a shortcut. Those are worse temptations than the worst sins that we preach about all the time. Now, if you've been sitting here the whole time you might have you might be thinking hey man he just spoke two different messages one was on baptism we talked about jesus getting baptized by john and i still don't really understand why jesus had to get baptized by john the baptist and then he talked about temptation well here's the connection with these two okay this is really cool that which we can do for ourselves jesus set the example that which we cannot do for ourselves jesus did for us Not a single one of us here can live a perfect and holy life, but Jesus did. He perfectly overcame the worst temptations of the devil, because we can't do it. And then Jesus says, uh, his last statement to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them. And it's not something I'm not willing to do myself. I set the example for you by being baptized, even though I didn't need to be baptized. I was baptized by John the Baptist. I've showed you how to do it. Now go and do the same because I've done for you what you can't do for yourself. If you've never made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered yourself to God and said, you know what, God? I am a sinner. I do try to manipulate you. I do take matters into my own hands. I do sin. I do shortcut. That's why Jesus came to this earth. Because we do things like that. But Jesus didn't do things like that. And because he was perfect and holy, he was an acceptable sacrifice to God. If you've if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you've never followed His example in baptism, we're here at Loretta Lens. There's a beautiful river, and it's hot out, and today's a good day to get in the river. I would love to baptize you. So I'm going to ask the question that I warned you about earlier. Is there anybody here that would like to be baptized? Raise your hand. We got one. We got one. Praise God. A hand. Give a hand. Come on, people. This is awesome. We got somebody that wants to show the world that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody else? i tell you what. Right now, um, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then if you have time, it's 855 right now. Uh, we're going to go down to Tech Inspection and go right about 100 yards, and there's a nice deep hole right there. I'm just going to go in the way that I am. Take your cell phone out of your pocket. And uh, we'll we'll do this baptism. If you'd like to join us and and applaud and and say a prayer down there, I'd love to have you come along with us if you've got the time. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for for sending Jesus to this earth. Thank you uh, that he did resist Satan and that he was an acceptable sacrifice in my place because I'm not worthy. Thank you for the decisions to follow Jesus. I pray that you go with us uh, from this point on. Give safety to the racers out there right now this morning and afternoon. Uh, we look forward to meeting you again in two weeks. Do a miraculous and wonderful work in our lives and draw us closer to you in these coming two weeks. In the name of Jesus, amen.